Let's pray together. God, our Father, we just sang it, that your praise would ever be on our lips. If we were to count the things to praise you for, they'd be infinite. All the ways you've shown your love and your mercy, your grace, your power, your wisdom to us. We are so very blessed to be called yours and to be able to gather together to worship you. God, we confess that we miss our brothers and sisters who are not able to be here due to COVID. And we pray that they, by the power of your Holy Spirit, know your love and feel a part of this congregation just as before. For those of us that are here, Father, we praise you that we can still gather together in worship, even with some considerations and restrictions that we're here. We pray that you continue to carry us through this unique time that is 2020 with COVID. But Father, as we come together now, we ask, as always, that you'd speak to us through your word, by your spirit. And as we consider the topic of grace today, may our hearts be moved as our minds are instructed. May we be obedient in our will because of what you've called us to. Everyone said in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you all. If you haven't already, would you open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus 2, 11 through 15 will be our key text today. These verses are really packed with theology and in some ways are the rhetorical high point of the book of Titus. But our topic today as we take up this fifth of our seven sermons in the For the Faith series on the book of Titus is the grace of God. Now when you think of the word grace, it may be that you think of what you say before supper, right? It may be when you think of the word grace, you think of somebody who moves with elegance and grace or appears graceful in their form or figure. Or it may be that you think of the Bible way of favor, goodwill, especially by somebody with authority in a superior position. And it's that quality of God, the basis of Christian behavior, of everything we do is grace. And grace makes all the difference. Amen? Grace makes all the difference. And some of that difference it should make for us, as we'll see in today's sermon, is that it should train us for righteousness. Because of God's grace, we should be more like Jesus, and we should be more readily identified as a Christ follower, because people say, that person's different. What is it about their lives? And what a great sermon to pick up today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of our service as we think about God's grace. So if you're able to, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we read this short passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. May God add to the reading of his word. Thank you. You can be seated. Grace and mercy. These two things are together in our scripture memory verse of the month and these dual redeeming qualities of God's love. And so we've got that scripture memory verse of the month and it's one that I would tell you it'd be great to memorize. If you're not doing these, maybe write it down somewhere, put it on your lock screen on your phone, somewhere where you'll see it to remind you normally. Let's say it together. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5. You think about grace as something you getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is withholding of something you do deserve. Blessing and cursing, these sort of things, grace and mercy. So we think about salvation because of mercy, but our first question today, and the first point on your outline, is who does God's grace offer salvation to? You probably don't even need me to explain that one to you. You may not even need to look at the Scripture because you can probably, if you're a follower of Jesus and been in church for a while, answer that one. Who does God's grace offer salvation to? Everyone. All of us. Exactly. Write that down. Look at what it says there in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, forgive that translation. It means all people, all humanity. The grace of God has appeared. It's more than a divine attribute, grace of God. When Paul is writing this to Titus, he's writing it and he's personifying grace. And who do we know brought salvation to all men? Jesus. Exactly. So Jesus is the grace of God who has brought salvation to all people. And that Greek word there for manifest or has appeared to literally means something that was previously unknown or previously unseen. Like it's new on the scene that everybody went, wow, that is unexpected. I didn't see that one coming. I mean, think about God's grace. Maybe you were raised in a Christian household, and maybe your life has gone pretty easy, and so grace doesn't seem as great to you, but maybe you were somebody who was raised in not the best situation, where people were always yelling and fighting, and there was always conflict, and you were worried for yourself and fearful. Maybe it wasn't until you went through your teenage years or even into your adult years and made some poor choices yourself that you didn't find out about the grace of God. And if life has been harder for you, grace may seem greater for you. That's where some of us who have had the privilege of growing up in church need to really think about the depravity of our own sinfulness and the way we've separated ourselves from God and therefore the greatness of God's grace. It offers salvation to all people. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, you can just write that one down, says that for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. The problem with people not trusting Jesus as their Savior is not the sufficiency of God's grace, but it's our sinfulness in resisting Him. That if salvation has been made available to all people, then all people, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, no matter where they've been, can be saved. Isaiah 53, 6 that said that all our sins are upon Jesus. John 1.29 talks about Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All people. Indeed, the abundance of God's grace more than exceeds the whole of man's depravity. The abundance of God's grace far surpasses the totality of all human sinfulness. That God's grace is more than enough. So let's ask that question again. Who is salvation for? Everyone. All of us. Salvation, yes, but also daily living. Sometimes we think, okay, I got saved. It's all right. I'm on my way to heaven. I love Jesus. Woohoo! But there's more to it than that. We're called to live a life that progresses in holiness and sanctification and transformation and becoming more like Jesus. Not just staying where we started, but growing in maturity in faith and in the image of Christ so that we represent Jesus, not just by, hey, I'm a Christian, but by every word we say and every action we do. That takes us to our second question. And what does God's grace teach us to avoid? Well, that's an interesting one there. It's in the first part of verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to say no. The King James Version says, live soberly. Excuse me, I skipped ahead there. That's verse, that's the next point. It teaches us, these um, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That is an idea of no's a complete sentence. And that it's talking about our flesh, our past, our sin, all the temptations that we deal with. And those worldly passions are lust. That's God's grace is active and powerful. Think about what we know about God's grace, that it is, sustains us in our time of need. 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says that, or 12, 9 says that, that it, God's grace is sufficient for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says that God's grace provides strength for us when we need it. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 says that God's grace produces thanksgiving in us. And 2 Corinthians 1, 12 says that it enables us to live godly lives. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. There's some things that it's hard for me to say no of and to be somewhat innocuous. Um, I'll make it a nice example. My wife, God bless her, was in Aldi and um, 40-pound big old boxes of bananas 
The dude at the back was like, uh, this one's not good. You want it for $2? She's like, sure, $2, overripe bananas. So, I mean, you know, she gets home from Aldi, and I go to the door. Can I help you get some out? She says, yeah, get those bananas out of the back seat. I'm thinking a bag of bananas, a clump of bananas, and I'm like, whoa, what is this box of bananas? So she tells me the $2 banana story, by the way. She got to the checkout, and the guy's like, oh, we'll sell them to you for a buck fifty. So we've got 40 pounds of overripe bananas that have all been taken apart by my wife and put in the freezer so for smoothies, for banana bread, and God bless her, banana cookies. Have you ever had those banana cookies that are kind of soft, but then with the caramely icing on the top? Yeah. Nancy's recipe? Yes. Thank you, Nancy. I knew I loved Nancy. That's one more reason to love Nancy. So those cookies are sitting on our counter. Do you think I can walk by without taking one? I cannot resist the cookies. Yesterday, there were four cookies left, one with icing, three without. Seth is going to grab the one with icing. I said, I get the one with icing. He says, why? I said, because I'm the one working in the kitchen installing our new appliances all day. Yoink. And it's gone. There are some things that it's hard to say no to, your favorite cookie. But there are other things that are a lot more dangerous than your favorite cookie, aren't there? And those are the things that it seems like the devil just knows. And he picks on us, and he pokes at us, and he tries to push our buttons to cause us to fall into those old sinful habits that like ruts on a path for wagon wheels are all so easy to fall into. But God calls us to say no. And he gives us a reason. He wants us to avoid sin. That leads us to our third point. And your third point in your outline is a question, and it is, what does God's grace teach us to be? That second one was, what does it teach us to avoid, right? And instead of saying, what does it teach us to do? Well, let's read verse 12, the latter part, and verse 13 and see what it says. And it says, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So I'm talking about that in terms of being, not doing. To be self-controlled is a quality of being. To be upright, righteousness, it's a quality of being. Godly, godliness, it's a quality of being. Yes, it works itself out in doing, but doing always follows being, right? And look, as it goes on in verse 13, while we wait For the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That not only should we avoid certain things, but we should seek to be certain things. What are we supposed to be? Self-controlled, upright, and godly. Some of those things we can be to a certain extent on our own. You can muster the self-control to get up at a certain time and exercise a certain way and resist certain foods and, you know, get yourself in shape. You can muster the self-control probably to uh, take control of your finances and make yourself a budget and stay within your budget and get yourself out of debt. You can muster the self-control to do the homework you need to do and study hard in order to get grades that uh, are acceptable to you or advance your uh, goals as you had planned. 
But when it comes to the struggles of the sinfulness and the temptation within us, we can't always muster that self-control on our own. And we're not supposed to. We're supposed to rely on Jesus, who by grace will do it for us, will inhabit us with His power like we talked about on the last point. This reminds us that we have to depend on Jesus That question was, what does God's grace teach us to be? In one word, I would say godly. It teaches us to be godly, that we've been saved, we're avoiding sins, we're being trained, and we're becoming like Jesus, which leads us to the fourth point on our outline. And that question is, how does God's grace transform us? How does God's grace transform us? You see the movement that's happening here, even in this short passage of Scripture? You got saved. You're avoiding sin. You're seeking to be like Jesus because He's inhabiting you by His grace. And because of that, your life is transformed. There's differences in you now. People are going, hey, what's up with that guy? That person used to do that, but not anymore. Or, you know, if I was in that person's situation, woo, this is the reaction I would do, but not them. That God's grace transforms us. Look at verse 14 there. So it's speaking of Jesus, it's describing Him as the end of verse 13, God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. Can you just think about that one from there? That not because of any righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, God saved us. Jesus gave Himself for us. If there's nothing else that you get from today's sermon... Maybe just that awe or that wonder of God's grace and salvation as sinful as you are. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So from our sinfulness... We have been transformed, and we are eager to do what is good. We're not the same. We go from sinful temptations to Christ-following inspiration. Our lives are different. God's grace has transformed us. You think about what it says. Think about verse 23. You probably know, know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that is a new life for us, but also set us free and gave us this gift in Jesus that is a new life in Him. And what does it do? Why? To purify us, to cleanse us by His grace. It's another metaphor for redemption, that cleansing, getting all cleaned up and shined up. This week at our house, I think, was it um, Friday? Was it Thursday. Three of our four cars were as dirty as they've been in a long time, and I couldn't stand it any longer, and just I had stuff in my mind that I just needed time, and I said, I'm going outside to wash the cars. Lined them up one after the other, did the, you know, shuffle of the cars through the driveway with all the keys there, and I just washed cars, and it made me happy. I needed to cleanse those cars of their dirtiness, but there was something that was happening deeper in me, Because there was an internal struggle within me, and I was just, 
I needed some time to think. And the family members came and went, and people walked their dogs by, or neighbors went up the street to the in-home daycare and got their kids, and I visited with them briefly. It was just nice to have a little space, but also to be doing something. Sometimes you need to wash something, but more often it's that you need your soul washed from within, isn't it? That you need God by His grace to cleanse your soul, to sanctify you, to set you apart for His very own, that you are eager to do what is good. So we've been redeemed, we've been purified, that's how we've been transformed, the answer to our fourth question. Now your fifth and final question. Why does God's grace empower us? Why is the most important question of them all, right? Why is the question about wonder? Why is the existential question for the philosophical folks among us? In verse 15, John MacArthur says of verse 15, he says, This one verse is one of the clearest and strongest statements in Scripture about the spiritual authority of men who God calls to minister His Word and shepherd His people, pastors, elders, Let's read verse 15 there. It's on your screen. You can look at it in your Bible. He says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So this is a summary statement of everything that has gone before from chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through here. Because if you go back in Titus, remember you had the greeting portion there. Then in verses 5 through 9, Paul laid out for Titus, here's your job on Crete. Your job is to appoint elders, pastors in each of these churches around Crete and to combat um, false doctrine. And then remember in verse 10 and following, it talked about that false doctrine and we talked about how a sound doctrine should result in a sound life and a sound life should support sound doctrine. And there's this relationship here. And so Paul now is looking back on all these things he's already written through chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we have it and saying to Titus, these then are the things you should teach. All of this content, all of these duties is what you're supposed to do. And he says, encourage and rebuke with all authority. In other words, do not be discouraged because you know that your life is in Jesus and in Jesus you're ministering to others. And do not let anyone despise you. We know Timothy was much younger and when Paul wrote things like this to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. One of the many things I appreciate about Myra is though she is young, she leads up no matter your age. She's got a grace about her, a dignity, a strength of character that when she says so, you go, all right, I'm going to do it because Myra said so. You don't question it, right? There's not a problem there. Paul says here, don't let anyone despise you. So it may not be your age, but it might be for you, your education. You might think, man, I don't know as much as most people or I don't have a degree. You might know a lot more even though you don't have a degree. You might think, oh, well, I haven't been around here long enough. Whatever your excuse is for not being who God's called you to be, Paul is telling Titus and God is telling us, don't let anyone look down on you. Because if you've received the grace of God and if you're living a transformed life, you can encourage, rebuke, and teach with all authority. Even if you're not a pastor, God's called us to live a life that is different Our highest pursuit and motivation for Christian behavior is not what we can do for God, 
but what God can do and will do through us. When we give ourselves fully to him, it'll be amazing what he'll do through us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we've been inspired, encouraged, and challenged all over again through Titus today. The words of your servant, Paul, so many years ago to his protege in the ministry, Titus, that you chose to put in the Bible as an inspired text to instruct Christ followers throughout the centuries. So Father, we thank you for this reminder of your grace and how your grace teaches us to say no to certain things, teaches us to become more like Jesus, transformed, and to stand with authority, not letting anyone look down on us. God, your grace is unmerited favor. Nothing we could do would ever earn it or deserve it. And it humbles us. So God, we respond in humility now, asking that you would purify our hearts anew, that as we prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper, we would confess to you anything that separates us from a perfect and right relationship with you that we would confess to you anything that separates us from another person because of sin that we've committed. God, we thank you that you're present among us here. And as we sing this song, would you move in our hearts to obedience, confession, and repentance. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.